Hey, well, again, it's always such an honor and a privilege uh, to get to be with uh, you guys on a Sunday and, and to get to communicate God's word. So I'm really excited. Again, if you're new today, uh, thanks so much for visiting. Hope you feel at home. Um, and if you're a little bit like nervous, like, oh, this church thing's a little bit different, weird, don't worry. Uh, we're all nervous. We're all trying to figure it out. So join the club. Thanks for hanging out tonight. Uh, but like Pastor Craig today, this morning, not tonight, just kidding. Uh, I am a youth pastor, and so I'm normally speaking at night to middle school students that have a shorter attention span than a goldfish. Um, but in that, all that said, we are in the series called 167, and it's kind of based a little bit around this verse in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23, which says this. It says, the church and what God is building is actually not peripheral, it's not a side note, it's not an asterisk to what is happening in the world. The world is actually peripheral to what God is doing in the church. And that can be a very different thought in today's world because we can have a little religion box or a self-help box that we put to the side and say, that's kind of my church attendance, what's there, but this is my life and when I can, it can be here. But Jesus actually comes and he just disrupts our comfort zones and how we do things. And he says, well, actually what I'm doing in the church is so powerful, is so incredible, is so amazing that the rest of your world actually is meant to revolve around the church and what God has built. Again, please don't hear me, not these four walls. Your world does not revolve around gym walls, but it revolves around the church, the people that God is building. We've been looking at this idea that when we understand that, we actually gain an advantage in life. We gain this advantage because God can use us and we're available to what he's doing. And in week two, we talked about the idea of surrendering what no one else sees so that God can bring forth and promote things in your life that everyone We'll see. That when we switch from just having our life be about this peripheral thing on a Sunday morning that we attend, we say, God, I'm willing to actually to give you everything, my fears, my insecurities, my worries, my dreams, that God, I'm willing to give this to you. The promise of God is that he takes that and he uses it in powerful ways that people do see. And last week we heard again from Pastor Craig an incredible message that God doesn't call us just to do this alone, but he calls us to do it together. That Jesus' main form of discipleship was not from a stage, but was around a table. Where he says, hey, walk with me, talk with me, learn what I do. And in no other time in history, in my opinion, again, it's a pretty humble opinion in all my, what, 28 years of living, of all of history, but would be this idea that we've never found people that were so connected, but so alone. And we can come and agree to the same things, yet we go home lonely, we go home alone, we go home longing for things. But again, the church is this place where there's deep community. It's not just about sitting next to someone in a chair, but it's doing life with people together. And you guys got that as we all ate a ton of food last time, but life happens outside of the one. I'm not sure if you're aware, but I wasn't. There's 168 hours in every week. 168 hours. And so often when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, we tend to focus on the one hour or so that we spend in this building. And it was just something that's been on our pastor's hearts uh, to begin to say, God, what would it look like if we invited God into the 167, not just the one in our weeks? Now, it can seem great, and I don't know if you're like me, man, your heart's been stirred during the series. I've been challenged during this series where we look at God like, I don't know if I'm conscious about what you're doing every day of the week. If I'm honest, it's okay to be honest this morning. Like, I don't know if I remember that I'm supposed to be representing you every day 
of the week. When I'm playing hockey on a Sunday night and someone slashes me, I don't, I don't remember, again, I'm called to lay hands and I was about to, but not in the way that I think Jesus was asking me to. Yeah, I'm going to pick up your cross. I'm going to drop my gloves. That's what was about to happen. But, you know, there's certain situations where we're, we're just not sure. And I think it's interesting. I think I, I, if we're, if in thinking about it and praying about it this week, I think if we're honest, we would fall into one of these two camps when it comes to the 167. We can come here, be so stirred and inspired for God to do things, and we can pray and we can ask. But I think there's one camp where it's this. We want Jesus to move, but if we're honest, we have no idea what that would look like. Because our only frame of reference for following Jesus is in this room. And when you're sitting next to a coworker, you don't have a band behind you and you don't have a message prepared. So God, how do I bring it in? I'm, I'm familiar with this. But God, I, I want you to, but I, I just can't see how you would do that. And I want to let you know if you're there today, that's okay. Like you haven't, but, but I'm saying there's more for the 167 that, that maybe we need to push past and maybe we need to ask Holy Spirit and be vulnerable with each other in community to say, there's got to be more than the one. But if I'm honest, I don't know what that looks like. Because I, when I think about it, I think about like just going and say, hey, do you know who Jesus is? And he died for your sin. God, man, problem, solution. And if you don't, you got to do this and let's get saved right now. And and then your coworkers just like pretends their earphones are on. They're like, Ugh. and you're like, man, the one's pretty good. <laughs> maybe not the ones because we just, we're not really sure. Or there's the other half where maybe you have some stirrings and some understandings of how God could use it, but you've come to the conclusion that either who you are isn't good enough or what you have isn't enough. That God, I could do it if I had their personality. I, I, I would reach my neighbor if I had that lady's schedule or that man's salary or if my wife was like her or my husband like him. And, and we begin to negate our responsibility in the 167 because we look at everything we don't have. I think we can focus on either not being able to see what it looks like or we focus too much on what we don't have and our inability or our lack of skills or our lack of possession or our lack of experience. I just got saved. I don't, I don't know if I can or I've never done this. I followed Jesus 20 years. You can't teach an old phenine new tricks. God, how am I supposed to do this? And, and I want to look at this passage in Acts chapter 3 because I think it actually has a lot to teach us. As I read it this week, I know I was convicted saying, God, would you shape me and mold me because I don't get the 167 like I'm supposed to. And I just want to encourage you, if you find yourself in that place, a, a beautiful prayer, in my opinion, could be this. Jesus, I know I'm supposed to and I want to, but if I'm honest, there's times where I don't want to. There's times when I don't know how. So God, I'm willing to say, would you come, Holy Spirit, and help me? Would you show me what it looks like to bring you into the 167 in my life? God, I want to see you move. And in Acts chapter 3, it begins this, verses 1 to 10. We're going to read it together, and it's up on the screen. It says, one day, to repeat, one day Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon, as was the custom. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg for those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him 
them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. I can picture the guy being like, is that some sort of e-transfer? Like, I, I, just, I just need some bread. Like, what? No, 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 like, see this. Other people just put some coin in there. And I, I can picture a little bit of confusion in that moment. It says, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went out with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all of the people who had walked by him saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's pray this morning. Jesus. God, we just come to you this morning in this next few minutes. And God, we ask not just for a good encouraging word, although I hope it is. But God, I ask for moments of transparency, transparency between us and you. God, that you would reveal to us the areas where we just don't see the way you want us to. Or God, the things that we discount or the things that we just push aside saying, God, you could never use that. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're working uniquely in every individual heart in this room. And we just ask that you would move this morning. I pray you'd help me communicate your word accurately uh, to bring life change in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this last Sunday, we actually, me and my wife Katie, had some pretty big news. Um, we, oh yeah, if you're taking notes, uh, the title today is What I Do Have. What I do have. And this last Sunday after church, we had a reveal party. It was the first one I had ever attended. We're having a little baby uh, come July 13th. And yeah, that's good. Yeah. And we found out that we're having a girl. Um, and, and to understand my anxiety, I just want to tell a little bit about our family. If you're not sure, uh, our family, uh, we only make boys. That's it. Uh, so not only have I been ridiculed by my family for the last week about not being uh, good enough to make boys, uh, my response is, you weren't good enough to make, girl, I don't have a good comeback yet, I'm working on it. Um, but like my grandpa was one of two boys and my dad was one of two boys and my dad's brother had three boys and my dad had three boys and my brother now has three boys. Um, this is like a Toyota factory, and then all of a sudden, Audi shows up, and you're like, we don't know what to do. Like, like and getting ready for a kid, I was nervous, obviously, because it's a human child that doesn't go home with their parents. Uh, that's me and Katie's job, and so I prayed for Katie a lot. Um, <laughs> But like, yeah, with boys, nephews, I get it. I love playing with boys. I've been around boys. And so I'm like, oh, you know, I'll probably read some books and, you know, figure that out. But, you know, I, I've been around boys. I get that. Um, but then the confetti was pink. And our little popper at the reveal party. And immediately, I've never in a single moment felt so unequipped for anything in my entire life. Where I'm like Googling every single daddy-daughter book. I'm watching a show, and this dad's like having an argument with his teenage daughter. And I begin to have an anxiety attack. I'm like, oh my God, she's going she to love me. She's going to hate me. She's going to hate me. And just like terrified. 
And thankfully, God gave me a box that has three of them. So now I'm like, seriously, lay your hands. We're like, impartation. I don't know what to do. Because again, my nephews, I love them. The rougher you are, the better. But I also have nieces on Katie's side. And that hasn't gone as well. Um, I remember again, Robbie like, ah, Uncle Daniel loves you. And so Penny, our oldest niece, for her second birthday, we were getting the yard ready. And I thought it'd be hilarious to take the leaf blower and shock her and just shoot her in the face with it. And be like, ha! So fun. She didn't talk to me for a year. I'm not kidding. Her third birthday was the first time she would stand next to me, and I sat silently as not to spook the wildebeest in the world. Like, I'm just, like that, that Monsters, Inc., you know, when they go into the room and there's a little child, and they freak out. Like, I feel like that's our family right now. We're like, what is it? Ha, like, man, I, I don't know what to do with this. But I've never in my life been so terrified. Again, <laughs> I played sports. I've had to fight guys who are much bigger than me because I didn't realize how big they were when I slashed them. And I've had to do a lot of things. I can go into the wilderness and dodge grizzly bears and cougars and wolves. But this little child that's about to come into our life, <laughs> I, my prayer life has never been better. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus, please. I don't even know what to pray, so God, I'm going to come, Holy Spirit. Or just come, Jesus, please. And as funny as that is, I think sometimes if we're honest, when it comes to the 167, this is where we find ourselves. We know a lot's at stake. Can you follow Jesus? It's not like you're not concerned about lost people. You know they matter. You're not concerned about your city. You know they matter. This baby little girl that's coming into our family, I will be held accountable before God for her life and stewarding this incredible gift. I know it matters. I just never have done it before. And I don't know what to do and I don't want to make a mistake. And I feel already this, uh, this choice that could be possible to be paralyzed by fear because I know there's so much at stake and I just don't want to ruin her life. Sometimes we sit in church and we know God wants to use us, but we're so terrified to make a mistake in the 167. We just don't, we've never seen it before. We know there's a lot at stake. I just don't want to make a mistake. And I believe, I just want to walk through Acts chapter 3 because I think it, it really points out some key things that we can grasp today that will help us in the 167. And in verse 1, it starts this way. It says, one day Peter and John were going up. I love that. If you take notes in your Bible, you can write a little 167 and circle the words, we're going up. They weren't in the temple yet. This wasn't a church service. They were on the way. This was a Monday. This was a Thursday. They were just walking, but Holy Spirit was moving. They were, on the, they were going to the temple. Again, we don't forsake the gathering because there's a holy thing that happens. There's, there's power in community and in gathering and the preaching and the teaching of the word and corporate worship. There's powerful things that happen. And they were on their way to do that. But it wasn't in the temple. It was on the way. And I think it's important for us to be expectant in the one and the 167. Like as I came to church walking, I wondered who did I or what did I walk by on my way to the one this morning? Being so expectant for the one and missing the 167. That person on the side of the road, that barista at Fresh Street. Well, like, what is it? What conversations? Like, God, it was on the way. They were on their way to the temple. You know, I believe the revival that we pray for so often, 
I don't believe we'll see it in this room. I believe we'll see it outside the four walls of this room as we begin to be aware on the way, not just in the one, but in the 167. Ordinary people that just yield their hearts to an extraordinary God, saying, Lord, I'm available for you to move. Verse 2, it goes on, it says this. It says, now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the gate, uh, to the temple gate called Beautiful. And it's interesting in this, when you study this, this gate out in the temple, how it looked, there was a, a certain court that Gentiles, people who were not Jews, were allowed to be in into the temple. Again, you got the Holy of Holies, you got the Holy Place, and you got the outer courts. And then there was like, the, for women, there was Jewish women courts. And this gate stood between the court for Jewish women and the court of Gentiles. And every single day he was brought during this. So twice a day. Again, he didn't just have a one, he would have had a 14. Because he was brought twice a day, seven days a week, to the temple. Again, it's not about the amount of hours. It represents this moment at temple and everything in between. But he would have been brought and they placed him and just sat him down here. And what I love about Jesus and what I love about the Holy Spirit is where this happened. Because it says to you and me, if you're here this morning, you don't feel like you belong. God's still got something for you. You belong because it would have been at these temple gates. There would have been signs at the gate called Beautiful. There was nine other gates around the temple. It would have had signs in Latin and in Greek saying like, non, or like Jews only. And the punishment was death. If you crossed her, there was a very strict line. You, you were not allowed to enter because of who you were and where you came from. You lacked the ability to get close to God. But Jesus comes and the Holy Spirit comes through people. Why is it important for the 167? Because there's people in your life that will never make their way to the one until you meet them in the 167. They're sitting in your job place. They're sitting in your classroom. They're living right next door to you in your complex. And God is looking for people who are open and willing willing and ready on the way to say, hey, I know you don't think you belong, but God's got a plan. I know you don't think you're good enough, but God paid for it. He was good enough. I love where this miracle takes place because it gives hope for me. There's no way I belonged. There's no reason why God should have loved me and forgave me of my sins, but for the grace of God. And it continues in verse 2. It says, where he was put every day to beg for those who came into the temple courts. Uh, it's interesting. He was around the one, the church service, every single day. Yet he was still paralyzed. Later on in Acts, we see he was about 40 years old. It says he was lame from birth. How often... Do we put too much weight on the one and expect God just to do what he does if we just show up? This man was around church every day for his life, yet he still was paralyzed. And it's interesting that he had received everything he needed. Everything he asked for, he had received. He was put there because it was successful for him to get what he thought he needed. And for 40 years, he got everything he asked for, but still lacked the one thing he needed. 
And I think this is such a beautiful picture of society and culture today that if I get that job, if I get that house, if I get that spouse, all the things we're asking for, we get. Yet you have people, again, Jim Carrey, the quote he says, I wish everyone could get everything, could get rich and famous and get all the money and everything they asked for so they could realize that's not the answer to your happiness. Yet we have people that will idolize a job that keeps them out of church. We have people that will do everything, sacrifice their integrity and everything else in their life for a career, for that wife, for that car, for those kids, for your white picket fence. Yet they still sit there paralyzed in their soul. This man had received everything he asked for but still lacked the only thing he needed. And the church needs to rise up to realize that it's not fame, it's not the answer, that that marriage is not the answer, that the gifts you get from God are not the answer. We live in a society and a post-Christian culture. They want the kingdom, they just don't want the king. And they get everything that they ask for, but they lack the only thing they needed. And they find themselves paralyzed. They find themselves inactive. They find themselves still dependent day to day just to get by for their needs. Why is that important? Because church, you need to realize that you have what they need. You might not have what they're asking for, but in you is the same spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead. And it's time that the church stopped cowering, stopped saying that we can't compete with culture. We can't do that. No, you might not have what they have, but you have what they need. And Peter and John realized this, that this man was getting everything he asked for, but lacked the only thing he still needed. It's in the 167. Verse 3 to 4 goes on to say this. It says, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. I get a picture of like a mom and a little boy be like, look at me, I'm looking at you, you're not looking at me, are you listening, I'm listening, you're not looking. Like, like how many times, like, he saw him, and then Peter looked, and then he stared intently, they said, look at us, but he already saw him, because he was looking at him, he's like, are you paying attention, I'm paying attention, are you looking, are you looking, I'm looking, are you looking, are you looking? like, it's this weird thing going on, but I think there's something in this that says, people walked by him and saw the man, but Peter and John were the only one who saw the man. Like there's a difference in the 167. I think it's important here that Peter and John gathered in homes to pray and in the temple to pray. Family, this is the difference between people, people that go to pray and people of prayer. Because everyone else walked them, they were on their way to pray and they missed it. If you're wondering, how do I invite God into the 167? I've never seen it before. I don't know what it could look like. Just begin to invite God into the other areas outside of this one and begin to experience what you start to see. It doesn't have to look like what you heard. It doesn't have to look like a Sunday. It doesn't have to look like that one evangelist friend that you did. No, Jesus is just going to begin to allow you to see things that no one else sees. Peter and John were people of prayer. Everyone else walked past the man and didn't see what Peter and John saw because prayer was something they did, not who they were. Horizon family, we are people of prayer. We don't just come and worship on a Sunday. We're people of worship. We don't just listen to the word preached on a, on a Sunday. We're people of the word of God. And in the 167, we need to commit to be people of prayer. That on the way, we don't miss the whole reason we were going. I know I'm guilty so often 
spending so much time and effort on the one, the events, the things that happen here. And, and then I find myself complaining about people that are irritating me, complaining about that neighbor, complaining about these people. And sometimes the Holy Spirit's like, you idiot. <laughs> he talks to me like that. No, you don't worry. Uh, it's like, you're not seeing who I just put in front of you. Have you ever asked why that's irritating you? And as you begin to become a person of prayer that says, God, would you lead and guide me in every hour of my life, not just the one hour at church, you begin to see things that no one else sees. Like we mentioned at the beginning, I think one of the main reasons we don't see Jesus in our 167 is we just don't see how we could use our carpool group that we have going to school. Again, we get real spiritual with it, and we can fall to the, I think, to the wrong conclusion that this verse is only talking about healing. And so we only take it if we see someone on the ground, like, oh, it's God asking me to heal. What about that mom in your carpool group? Like in the 167, what about your office space and your coworkers that sit next to you? Do you see them? Like, are you, are you, do you see them? Are you not just observing what's happening, just clock, punching in a clock, but do you realize that all of this is peripheral to the church? All of this is an excuse for the gospel that is in you to come out of your life, to come out of your actions, so that someone might encounter the radical love of Jesus like they never have before. Your carpool, it's peripheral. Your workplace, it's peripheral. Your neighborhood, it's peripheral. The reason you have that house, the reason you have that job, the reason you walk your dog, the reason for whatever reason you bought a cat is so that you can sit next to some other person that needs prayer that also bought a cat and you can begin to talk about healing and deliverance from owning a cat from Jesus who loves you. If you have a cat, Jesus loves you. I just don't like him. <laughs> Your college class, that professor that seems to be constantly picking on you and always emphasizing how the church has, has got it wrong. Have you ever realized that that, pre, that professor in that class is peripheral to the reason why you're there because behind that professor is a soul and every name has, a number has a name and every name has a story and every story matters to God. So we need to be aware. It's the 167. Your high school teacher, your small group, whatever it is. Like, are we able to see how God could use it all? And I think, honestly, some of us, we just lack creativity. Or maybe I put it this way. We lack the ability to listen and receive the creativity that the Holy Spirit has because we just can't see how God could use our 167. But Peter and John were people of prayer. Being a person of prayer will change how you see the 167. You'll begin to notice things differently. You'll look at that person differently. There'll just be things that are changing. And verse uh, 6 moves on, says this. It says, then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Walk in your name. I love this. I love this. I love this. I love this. Peter was not asked to be accountable for what he didn't have. Like, he wasn't accountable for the money that he didn't have on him. And I, but that didn't cause him to stop. Because this is where we stop so often, isn't it? When God asks us to take a step, we have a long list of what we don't have. Can I tell you, God isn't holding you accountable for the house that you don't have. He's asking you to be generous with the basement suite that you do have. 
God doesn't hold you accountable for the salary that that guy has. He's asking you to be generous with the salary that he gave you. God doesn't ask you to be accountable for the family that that woman has or the marriage that that guy has or the husband or the wife or the neighbors or the personality or the giftings. Peter wasn't accountable for what he did not have. And so often we freeze and we stop in our 167 because we only stop at silver and gold I don't have. Sorry, bro. Catch you next week. And we keep on walking. After all, we got, we got the one to go to, right? It's church. I, I don't have that. I know there's a lot at stake. I might say something wrong. You know that God doesn't hold you accountable for the information you don't know about the Bible? Jesus isn't holding you accountable for the theology that you don't know. But I think that the flip side of that is true, that in church, especially in North America, we are far educated beyond our obedience when it comes to the word of God. God doesn't hold you accountable for what you don't have. Jesus doesn't hold us accountable for who we aren't. He doesn't hold us accountable for what we don't have. He doesn't hold us accountable for the influence that we don't have, the salary that someone else has, the gifts that we don't have, the mom that she is, the husband that he is, the student that they are, the grades that they can get, their personality, they're just better at it. Jesus isn't asking you to be them. And I think so often God starts to tug at our hearts and say, hey, invite that person to dinner. Oh, no, I, I, I can't, I can't. I don't have, or I'm not good enough, or I just, I, again, this is that we either can't see how God would use us, or we negate the things that we have, and we say, God, you could never use this. But God never held anyone accountable for something he hadn't given them. See, Jesus doesn't hold us accountable for what we don't have, but he is asking you to be willing and obedient with what you do have. Abraham, God didn't ask him to be accountable for all the kids he had in the moment. He said, hey, you have an Isaac would you be accountable for that? That's what you do have. Moses, what's in your hand? He was faithful and obedient with what he did have. He had a long list for God about what he didn't have. I don't have the right background. I'm a, I'm a, I, I was adopted. I was given up. I was raised. I was a murderer. I'm the wrong person. You can't use me. All the things that I don't have. But God says, what do you have? And are you willing to use that for me? We see that Joseph didn't have the experience of being an Egyptian prince, but he did have the administration skills. He did have the things that he learned, and God didn't ask him to be accountable for the family that he wasn't born in. He asked him to be accountable for the gifts that he had given him. We see that David was accountable not for Saul's armor, but for his sling. God didn't ask him to use what he didn't have. He asked him to use what he did have. We see that Gideon was accountable to some clay jars and some screaming. He didn't have a big army, but what he did have, he was obedient to use. We see that Jesus in his first miracle didn't have jars full of wine, but what he did have was jars of water, and he was accountable and he was to what he did have, and he was obedient. And he says to the servants, hey, get the water, fill them up, and begin to walk. And they didn't say, but there's not wine. I don't want to lose my job. He said, would you trust me? Yes, I'll be obedient with what I do have. I'm going to stop reminding God of what he hasn't given me yet. And just maybe if I was faithful what he has given me, maybe he'll begin to give me what he has. I think sometimes we need to be faithful with what's in our hand and patient with what's in our heart and just trust Jesus in the process. 
It's like, God, would you use me? A little boy didn't have lunch for the 5,000. What he did have was a Lunchable and said, God, I don't know how. Everyone else is focused on the money they don't have and the food they don't have. But hey, here's what I have. God, would you use it? What about us? What is it that you do have that Jesus has been asking you for, but you've been making excuses based on what you don't have this morning? Because the bottom line this morning is this. The 167 isn't about waiting for what you don't have. It's actually changed by using what you do have. Family, if we're ever going to see God move outside of these doors, we have to be willing to be obedient with what God's put in our hand. Your personality, your physique, your job, your intellect, your salary, your neighbor, your one room in your basement suite. We need to begin to be accountable. You know, at our gender reveal that we talked about, I, there's one of our neighbors that we've just been praying for and loving on, and they're like oh, uh, uh, late 40s. Um, <laughs> careful, yeah. And I, I have no idea how to relate to, again, that my, my dad's around kind of just past mid-50s, and, you know, what does this couple want to do with some young kids that constantly take up all the visitor parking and have loud people in their, in their like, all the time, and like, I, don't, I don't know how to do, but you know what I did have? We had a reveal party and a, and a house cramped with way too many people. Said, hey, I, I don't really know how to do this, but do you want to come with us? And I didn't have the right answer. And I didn't have this great speech. What I did have was a community that I can invite them into. I can invite them into my life. And they begin to just thank us for inviting them. And they're talking to different people. And I love, one of our leaders was there. He goes, hey, you know, how do you know Daniel? Oh, oh you know, we live next door. And he's like, what about you? He goes, oh, well, you know, I, I go to the church. And hey, you should come one time. And all of a sudden, God begins to do things and give invites to them. Not even from me yet at this point. Because I'm still trying to build a relationship and just doing life with them. But God begins to do what we can't do when we're faithful with what we do have. Because the 67 isn't about waiting for what you do have. It's changed by using what you do have. I just want to take a look at just three steps that we can take, that we see in the story. Because I, I know and hopefully God's stirring something in your heart. But it still remains, what do I do? And my hope this morning that this would be incredibly practical that you wouldn't walk out only thinking, how can I pray for healing? I hope if that's what God's stirring your heart, you do that. But I hope you would look at, man, how can I bring healing to that broken marriage by being there? Just being loving and offering it. Uh, I would be hospitable if I had a house. I love when my brother and sister-in-law first moved over here. I've never forgotten this. He said it was really hard because he's going to school full-time. She's working. They barely had enough money just to meet the bills and and Jason said to me, you know, we've always loved to be generous, but we actually have like a zeroed out budget. But we just begin and say, God, how can we be generous? He says, hey, we have a house and we have a fridge full of food. So once a week, we're just going to invite someone over. We can be generous with what we do have. I was talking to someone last week and they were just saying, and just listening to the Holy Spirit, they noticed at university that someone didn't have a lunch and didn't pray something, didn't make it, he just bought two and just handed it to the guy. And he goes, well, what's this? He goes, don't worry about it, just eat it. No, 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 like, what, 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 what is it? He goes, I just, I know you don't have food. So just don't worry, it's chill, just, just eat it. Just sat there and the guy just began to cry. Like so often we can focus on the things we don't have. We underestimate what God can do with what we do have. And the three steps are simply this. We need to learn to take inventory 
of what we do have. I think for far too long, some of you this morning, my hope is that you would repent for telling God he hasn't given you enough. My hope is that God would open my eyes to the things that I've been so blind to, the blessings that he has given me, and a heart to repentance that would say, God, forgive me for not being aware of what you have given me. Would you teach me to use it well? God, would you teach me to build your church in the 167 with what you have given me? Peter was aware of what he didn't have, but he also knew what he did have. I think too often we stop at what we don't have. We don't take time for Holy Spirit to reveal to us what we do. For Jesus to invade our 167 in a practical way, we need to be willing to allow Holy Spirit to take inventory of everything in our lives. Number two is obedience. Obedience to use what you do have. It's one thing to know that you have it. It's another thing to actually use it. Like it's one thing to know that you have the answer for their brokenness. It's another thing to open up your mouth and just say it. Like Peter, he had, he knew what he had. And Peter and John could have said that crazy Holy Spirit, man, that guy wants money. What good is me praying for him to do anything? Like, ah, they just, that would just be awkward. Uh, like, I appreciate God. I know he needs that, but yeah, I just don't have any cash. And so they could have so easily just missed what God wanted to do. What if your 167 this week looked like this? Instead of telling Holy Spirit all about what you don't have, and that being the reason that you can't do what he's put in your heart, what if we humbled ourselves enough to say, Jesus, whatever I do have, it's yours. I don't know how you can use it, but you can have it. God, I don't know how you can use that relationship, but God, you can have it. I don't know how you can use that $20, but God, you can have it. I don't know how you can use that neighbor that I'd rather just move, but God, you can have it. God, I don't know the situation with my child. I don't know what to do, and I'm terrified to make a mistake, but God, you can, you can have it. Like, what if we were just obedient with what God has given us? And here's probably the hardest step next is take a step of faith. In verse 7, it said this. It says, Peter not only said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. You know what happened after he said that? The dude was still lame, still paralyzed. And so Peter said, ah, all right, God, I believe it. I'm going to take a step. And he grabbed, picture this. He grabs the man's hand and just begins to pull. And it didn't happen when he grabbed his hand either. Like, could you imagine if this went wrong? Hey, come on, get up and boom. Uh, blessings. Like, could you imagine? And I think the fear of the man falling stops us all, and we stop, and we don't stop enough to say, what if he stood? What if they don't come to church? What if they did? What if they say no? What if they say yes? What if they think about it? What if they actually see Jesus in you? Like, guys, we got to have faith enough to say, God, and I love this. I heard it this week that a good translation in our day of faith is the guts to act. Because faith would be just what you believe. No, no, no. Faith without actions is dead. So it says, God, I'm taking inventory of that neighbor over there. And God, you said to invite him over for dinner. But uh, the house is a mess. And I, we only have a, a basement suite. But hey, I'm going to take Okay, God, I'm going to be obedient to go and ask. And then you get to the door. You're like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. Then you just got to take a step. In the miracle with Jesus, water and the wine, the water didn't turn into wine until he began to pour. Like so often we're willing to pray and speak, but we're so terrified to take a step of faith. We're so terrified to step out and say, God, if you don't meet me here. 
This morning, you might be in a place, because again, we said, you can't give what you don't have. God doesn't hold you accountable. You might be in this place, and the reality is, the joy you've been looking for, you don't possess because you don't yet have the love of Jesus in your heart. Can I tell you simply, I'm not sure where you're at in your journey, and there's no shame in that, but I wanna tell you, Man, there is a beautiful relationship with Jesus that's available to you, where he walks with you in your pain, in your mess, in your mistakes, in your stubbornness, in your giftings, that there's so much he wants to do in your life. The Bible says this, that if we would humble ourselves and say, Holy Spirit, Jesus, I receive what you did for me on the cross. Would you come into my life? Would you do something in my heart? God, I want to follow you. It begins this journey and then you walk into situations all of a sudden you have the answer inside of you, not just inside your intellect, but the Spirit of God's in you where you say, Holy Spirit, would you use me? Please just bow your heads really quick? I just want to take a moment. If you're here today and, and you'd be honest, say, hey, Dan, I don't, I don't follow Jesus. Maybe you know some about him. Maybe you've been around it. Again, the lame man was around church a lot. But he'd yet to have an encounter that met the need he had. And as we've been speaking this morning, maybe you're here and there's just been something stirring in your heart. You're not even really sure what it is, but there's this thought of, man, if this Jesus could be for me, I would like that. If that's you this morning, I'm simply going to ask, before I ask you, I'll let you know because my heart's not to embarrass you. In a moment, I'm asking you just to pop up your hand just as a sign saying, hey, that's me, Jesus, I need you. And then we're all just going to pray. So if you're in this place and you say, I need, I need Jesus to meet that need in my soul. I want a relationship with him. Can you quickly just pop your hand up, put it out? No one else is looking around. Just to give a moment. I'd just be curious if there's one. Yeah, come on. Yeah, you can put that hand down. Thank you. Yeah. Can I tell you for those two hands that just went up? Uh, you're not going to know what the next step is. That's okay. But the promise is that Jesus leads us and then he surrounds us with people to help us in this journey. We're called to community. So can we just pray together for those two hands that did go up this morning? Just repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I thank you that you have the answer to my deepest need. Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you make me clean? I want to follow you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Can we just give a hand clap of praise? Come on, for those two people. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. And as we said at the beginning, that gate where that man couldn't walk, I want to let those two people know that when it came to your experience with Jesus because of your sin, the Bible says it had, past tense, separated you. But the decision you just made gave you full access to go into the presence of God to walk. And I want to encourage you to look for Holy Spirit to be speaking to you, to be expectant for Jesus to talk, to be expectant for joy to come up. Yes, there's going to be life that you've lived, and they're going to have to work through that, and we do that in community. But this morning, because of Jesus, you no longer have to sit on the outside looking in. But Jesus can meet your need, and you could go in praising the God that gave you the right to be there. And here's just the three, again, these are three things that I want to pray for this week for all of us, if we can stand. 
because it can be a great thought or a great message, but if it doesn't go into the 167, we just wasted 45 minutes. And I want to simply ask in a moment to bow your heads, but first up here, pray and ask Holy Spirit, God, would you help me see something I haven't seen before? Where in my 167 do you want to use me this week? It might shock you, but where? God, who? Whoa, voice crack. There you go. Anointing or something. God, who do you want me to reach out to? Like where, what, what situation? And God, would you show me who you want me to, to live your love out in front of in the 167? And again, this isn't God, who do you want me to pray for healing? That might be it. But it might be God, who do you want me to sit next to in the lunchroom and ask how they're doing? Like it's very practical in this. Holy Spirit's so creative and he's so good at his job and he's gonna be so faithful to tell you and you're gonna be shocked and it's gonna be so awesome because he just loves you so much and he loves that person so much so you don't even need to worry or stress about it. He's got it all figured out. He's so good at his job. God, who? And then simply say, God, what do you want me to use? I'm well aware of what I don't have, but God, show me what I do have. So I want you just to close your eyes and we're going to give one minute and ask for your three W's. If you can't remember, just three dubs. Where, who, and what. Holy Spirit, would you speak right now? some of you in this moment, God's maybe showing you something that you've been discounting just in the quietness of your own heart, just prayer, prayer, repentance. And again, there's nothing awkward or shameful about that. Say, God, Lord, would you forgive me for taking advantage of my neighbor that he's living there and I haven't yet built a relationship with him. God, forgive me for, for not seeing what you put in front of me. Holy Spirit, would you help me to be more aware of what you're doing in the 167. God, would you move my heart and a real practical point, God, I pray that you would move our minds to even think about this outside. Because I know that can just be so hard. We have such a great moment. Then we go out and just get so busy. So God, would you keep the 167 in front of us? God, would you keep the three W's, whether we set an alarm on our phone or a reminder or a text. But God, where you want us to go, who you want us to be with, and what you want us to use. Because the 167 isn't dependent on what we don't have. It's changed by using what we do have. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great week.